ora, ko Debbie Tokawingoa. I'm Debbie Clark. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokawingoa. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. Today we have part two of our three-part series, uh, all about food systems and tourism's interconnectedness with with food systems here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In our last episode, we spoke with Angela Clifford from Eat New Zealand and sort of gave this this overview of what is New Zealand's food story and how does tourism interact with that food story. And as part of that conversation, we're, we're sort of exploring how can tourism serve food systems in alignment with this regenerative way of thinking in which we, we tourism is interconnected with other sectors. And in order to be regenerative, it needs to interact with and and contribute to other sectors. So we're sort of exploring that throughout this this three-part series. And if you haven't listened to that first um, part with Angela, we recommend you'd go back and listen to that one first. Today we have two wonderful guests. We're bringing it to a couple of examples of where this food systems interaction with tourism is playing out. Firstly, we're speaking with Amy Young from Great South about their Southland Murihiku food tourism strategy, which will be a conversation about a sort of regional example and how this is playing out in a specific place. And then we're going to talk to a business owner about a specific business example of this. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Kai Silbury from Go Wild Apiary on Reikohu Chatham Islands. Yeah, so uh, two great conversations. Amy Young is the Destination Development Manager at Great Great South, which is the regional development agency for Southland in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And Amy's, Amy's role is largely focused on the strategic direction and implementation of the Southland Murihiku Destination Management Strategy. She is from Invercargill and a passionate advocate for the Southland region. One of Amy's key focus areas is the development of the Southland Murihiku Food Tourism Strategy, which is part of her work. Uh, Josie was sadly not able to join us in this conversation, so I started off by asking Amy about how this food tourism strategy emerged and what makes Southland so unique. this podcast you know that we are talking about um, regenerative tourism and a really big piece of that is the importance of place and so we'd love to know as we um, as we hear about your food tourism strategy we'd, no- we'd love to know what's special about Southland that's led you to develop a food tourism strategy. Well, food is a really, um, I guess, a key part of the Southland food story. We're home to icons like the Bluff Oyster and the Cheese Roll um, and industries like fishing, agriculture and aquaculture all really significant in Southland. Um, and they have, I guess, produced products that have a really strong reputation for quality. Um, our colder conditions, our fertile soils and those pristine ocean waters we have in the south um, often reasons are attributed to this. And, and I, as a result, I guess a lot of the foods from our region have become iconic to Southland. Um, it makes it a really core part of who we are and what we do in our region. Um, and it, the food story is really connected to our people and our place. Um, so because of that, it's a really high value to our communities, but also visitors who really want an authentic experience when they come to Motuhiku. Um, So basically, when we developed our regional um, strategy in 2019 around tourism, 
it identified the strength of our food story and that if we were to develop that and support it to grow, that we could become a significant food tourism destination. Well, that's great. So it actually grew out of your destination management planning? Yeah, that's right. So that was done um, in partnership with Great South and an external um, consultant. So we had that real nice um I guess, inside expertise, but also an outside perspective. And they were able to really recognise the strength of our food and that perhaps um, it wasn't probably as much of a focus in our tourism sector as it could be or should be. So, yeah, really focused on that as an area for growth for us. So for people who don't know anything about Southland, tell us a little bit about some of those specific food products that you have that, that are so unique to your area. Well, it's hard to answer quickly because there are a lot, um, but we have a quite, a, I guess, an extensive coastline and we have a large region. Um, so Kaimoana and um, food stories from the sea are really key to our place. Um, Bluff Oyster is probably the most famous, um, but we also have our blue cod, um, crayfish, pawa, Jord Island salmon um, and white bait. That's a seasonal kind of product. Um, but yeah, as well as that from the land, our agriculture and our farming story is very strong as well. So our beef and lamb, venison um, and produce like our swede, southern swede is another famous one. Um, and I guess the quality of all those crops that are grown here. Um, and then we also have a few value-added stories like our cheese roll, um, which I think everyone knows nationwide is a pretty special story. Um, our Hokanui moonshine, and tuatapiti sausages. So um, let's go back to to the food tourism plan, uh, the whole strategy. What insights emerged around the opportunities that food tourism presents for your region when you were going through the development of this plan? Well, we talked about the obviously the amount of food that we do produce, but matched with that is around that food tourist, which we know is a really growing segment, um, and their values are really well aligned. Um, they really focus on wanting to get a taste of place, to get a sense of a place. Um, so use food to connect with people and culture. And they really want authentic foods that they can experience close to their source as possible. Um, so in terms of tourism and our plan, that was a really strong um, proposition for us because it allows us to spread that benefit of tourism to different parts of our region. Um, and some of those ingredients I spoke about before, for example, are dotted all, or, all around the place where, I guess, where their provenance story um, sits. So, for example, um, the salmon on, on Rakiura, the bluff oyster and a lot of the seafood stories. Um, venison and lobster are key to Fiordland um, and then beef and lamb and our central kind of farming areas and then probably the cheese roll in Invercargill where a lot of our hospitality providers are. So it allows us to really spread that benefit. Um, we also know those food tourists stay longer um, and they spend about up to 50% more on food and beverage when they travel. So that's really aligned again with our regional strategy values, which were around visitors, uh, wanting visitors to stay longer and spend more here. So higher high value and impact um, in our place. Um, and also they tend to buy products they experience on their travels when they return home. So it's, there's actually benefit through tourism for our export sector um, of our food products as well. So it was a real win-win for us. I love the uh, the connection piece you talk about too, that food is a way for us to connect deeply. I mean, we talked about this with Angela as well, that there's so many opportunities for visitors to really understand a place through the, those food experiences. 
So we know that food access is a challenge in New Zealand, right? Um, and even for um, residents as well as visitors to access some of these incredible foods that very often just get exported. So how is that addressed in your plan? And, you know, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about tourism serving um, some of the other industries that we are a part of when we think about the whole place. Um, so in a wider sense, how you think, how, how is your plan helping to serve the need of food security in your region? It's a good question. Well, I think definitely when we looked at our plan, we recognised that we have very strong export markets for a lot of these foods. So that can make um, access for our businesses difficult. But yet we know that authentic authenticity of our food stories is really important to the visitor and tourism. Um, so within our plan, there were five key goals um, that we wanted to work on over a five-year period. Um, the first of those was really around um, supporting our industry to develop and foster that food story um, and getting the basics right, I guess, and developing a strong local food network. Um, a big part of that was trying to support our hospitality providers and local producers to connect with each other, um, I guess providing a market for those local producers and also ensuring hospitality are, are really focused on having them on our menus. Um, so the plan really seeks to build that capability in the sector and allow better access for visitors, which also um, supports that for our local community as well. Um, so there's some of the things we're wanting to do here, which we haven't quite actioned them all yet as a five-year plan, but we want to create a regional food collective to kind of collaborate and bring that group together, um, look at a database, so really find out about all these small producers that are in our region who are possibly less um, totally focused on export, and then support things like the farmer's market and then really advocate for some of those system changes in our food sector. Um, and I guess I guess really supporting that visibility um, and growing our food sector means we're building those networks and again in turn hopefully also improving our food security. The plan to strengthen the visibility of those um, small local producers is for, for residents as well as for visitors. Definitely. We definitely see the benefits for our residents. A lot of them, I guess some of our food stories are probably a little bit more disconnected because of the access factor. So if we can kind of encourage that, it helps them to be able to experience those again. And and I guess our local people are the best advocates of our food story and our, for our tourists as well. So we really want them to be proud and to engage with these foods. You touched on sort of networks as well and structures. And when we talk about um, anything from a regenerative perspective, really understands, um, well, when we think through a living systems perspective as well, understands the importance of networks and structures um, to help support what you're trying to develop there. So, so can you speak a little bit about that? Um, so right throughout the development of the plan, we recognise that we really needed to create strong partnerships with others in the food space. Um, because that system is really about all, all those parts working together in collaboration and then, then tourism can sit on top of that. Um, it also enables us to work towards those mutually beneficial outcomes. Um, so, throughout, so throughout the strategy development and then in a lot of the projects or things we've sought to start to progress since, we have partnered with our local council, um, our Coin South, who are a startup space in Southland, our Runaka, our farmer's market, um, our hospitality school here, um, the Matahuku Kai Collective, which look a lot of food access um, and those sort of um, aspects in our region, as well as local producers and um, food businesses. Uh, we also have a really strong relationship at a national level with Eat New Zealand, who were part of the development of our strategy and really helped us, um, I guess, identify where our region was at and the, some of our pathways forward. Um, and we know they're very strong advocates for 
um, creating these networks and structures. So having their support is really important. Uh, we've also looked at a few other things around developing a food collective, so bringing everyone together and creating a structure around that. And we think that will really help keep the strategy alive um, and keep the focus on on the goals that we want to achieve because they'll be goals that are across our sector. Um, well, we also want to do a few other things, I guess, that are more structural in nature is set up a food tourism toolkit to support our hospitality industry around storytelling and, and access. Um, create an online presence for food on our regional website and also build some events around our iconic food stories. They're a great way to build the profile with visitors, but also our locals and ensure that those foods keep um, featuring on menus in our region. So often in tourism, we're really siloed, aren't we? So I love the way you're talking about this um, sort of branching out and, and becoming interconnected across um, across your region with not only food producers, but it sounds like startups, incubators, council. And that, that sounds like that has so much value, not just for the tourism industry, right? Not just for your tourism operators. Absolutely. I think tourism is often a catalyst that um, people can easily get behind and it, and the benefits that can actually flow and the things that it encourages are quite strong. Um, and that destination management kind of approach to tourism that is, is where we're moving to now is really all about that, that it's a multi-stakeholder approach to um, creating joint outcomes. So within the strategy, we've really tried to carry that through as well. It sounds like you're really working for tourism to serve the other industries in your area as well. Yeah, I think it's just all really about that um, common goal. We want to see businesses in our region succeed. Um, we want to foster innovation, um, and all of that helps to attract tourism. So, we and we really want to, I guess, encourage more product development, more um, experiences in our region because we're we're doing a lot of producing, but we're not really sometimes stopping and and seeing the value in that and that that you know, what that has for a visitor. I think that can be a little bit of what Southlanders can be like. We just get on with it and we don't um, toot our own horn, so to speak. And um, so we're a bit humble. So trying to kind of, that's, a, I guess, a, a, you know, a strong attribute of our character as well, but it means sometimes we're not so great at sharing what we have that's really great about our place. So I think this is a nice way to do that as well. Yeah, we've talked on this podcast about tourism really being a way to tell stories of places, right? And that there's a real role for tourism there. So I think that's what you're speaking to. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's such a richness and breadth of story across all of those areas around our agriculture, our kaimawana, and, and bringing in our cultural food story as well, and, and how key that was to, I guess, the early history of Murahiku. Um, and we really want to see all of those stories come out and, and that richness shared um, for, our, for our local communities just as much as our visitors. We think Southland is an amazing food-producing region, um, and through the strategy and the work we're doing, we just really want to be able to share that um, with our communities, but also um, other New Zealanders and those from around the world as they come to visit um, New Zealand and Murahiku. Thanks so much, Amy, for the conversation. It was really inspiring. We'd like to just take a minute to bring our listeners' awareness to a project that we've been working on at Good Travel. Uh, it is a multi-day experience that we have crafted over the course of the last uh, year and a half, really, um, in our own development and our own work of trying to think best about how 
regenerative principles or regenerative design can um, be enhanced through tourism, we have created a 13-day experience traveling around Aotearoa, New Zealand. So it is a trip. It's happening in March 23. Uh, it is a trip that's open to domestic and international visitors and travelers. Anyone really who is interested in experiencing this work firsthand uh, Josie and I have spent a long time really looking at how we can make a trip as regenerative as possible. Uh, you've heard through our conversations here on the podcast that we're always looking at um, how we can apply these principles of regeneration to tourism and how can tourism serve uh, the places that visitors travel to and the communities. How can we uplift communities through tourism? So we would love to have any listeners on the podcast who are interested join us on this trip. Uh, we will put the link into the show notes, but really it's an opportunity to explore some of these concepts for yourself firsthand. We are visiting some of the guests that we've had, Nadine Toitoi from Kohutapu Lodge, Brian McGaw from River Valley Lodge, uh, and many others, Angela Clifford, who was last episode's guest. Uh, so we're so excited about this experience and we would absolutely love to have others who are interested in these concepts and exploring this work together uh, to come on to come on this trip with us and, and to explore this to a deeper level together. So for the second part of this episode about food systems and some examples of tourism's interaction with food systems, we're going to now speak to Kai Silbury about Go Wild Apiary and this amazing example of of a regenerative food business on, on Reikohu Chatham Islands. Kai is the founder of Go Wild Apiary, uh, which is Chatham Islands freeze-dried honey, and we'll learn a little bit about what that means. She has received awards for her honey at Apiculture New Zealand Honey Awards and has been the head chef at Hotel Chatham, growing the daily meals there from 10 to over 300 a day and employing 35 staff. Kai is extremely passionate about wild foods, endemic plant species and of course her bees. We loved talking to Kai, she's so passionate about the work that she does and you just get this sense of the place that she is and the connection to her bees. So it was really, we were so grateful that she um, would join us all the way from Chatham Islands and it was it was a really great call. So uh, we started off by asking Kai to just tell us about Go Wild Apri, her business, and what has shaped its evolution over time. I majored as a chef, so I've um, been chefing for 25 years. And um, when my uncle brought in his honey, um, you know, I just really wanted to help develop that honey, um, not knowing what was going to come after. Um, so what I did was I used that and put it into a um, chefing competition with New Zealand Chefs Association. Um, on top of that, promoting um, other premium products of the Chatham Islands, like the blue cod, crayfish, power. And um, and when he first gave me this honey, it was in a recycled jar. And so I thought, oh, no, how am I going to take this to a prestige chefing competition? 
And so that's where I started to cook and develop with it and, and turn it into toffee and to lozenges and things. And, and that was my light bulb moment was to try freeze drying. And so we froze it, you know, got it freeze dried and, um, and that was the end result. And, and we ended up with a wow factor. So from then, that, and that was three years ago, freeze drying has been around, uh, it was developed in the 1600s. It never really took off when the first man went to the moon. True. And now just about everything inside your um, supermarkets are freeze dried. And so how did that lead to Go Wild Apiary? Um, so, well, we developed this award-winning product. We had taken it around New Zealand, won some awards. Um, but the funny thing is we had no honey <laughs> to promote this um, product more. And so we thought, well, we'll purchase some land. Me and my business partner, Francesca Bonventere, we um, purchased some land and um, we started um, with three hives and grew those hives from there. And because um, we we're still working at Hotel Chatham's and I was the head chef there, I started using uh, my product as an ingredient or um, showcasing it on the tourist menu. And um, then the tourists started to demand where, where and where it comes from. And so... Um, we thought, well, we'll put some tracks through there and um, open it up and start using now our apiary as an educational tool mm. for ourselves and, and for the visitors. And um, from there, um, we started to develop and grow our business and learned that, um, you know, so epiculture has been on the island for 200 years, um, but uh, it hasn't flourished like the other industries on the on the island, farming and fishing. And so um, during the growth of our business, we discovered there was no studies being done um, on the bees, on the endemic plants, um, even on the honey. And so before we could start even selling honey, we, um, we connected with uh, Waikato University. So they're doing all the studies of our honey. So it's the first time Chatham Island honey has ever come on to the market before. Um, it's always been savoured locally. Mm. Mm. And so just having that groundwork and that base work or the foundation of an industry or a growing industry. Yeah. Mm. So we've, we've sort of put that old started back um, all this year planning, uh, working with NPI, um, you know, to help uh, uh, – with, with all their you know, information that they can give us and their leads and, and guiding us down the right track. Hmm. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah, and I love that you're, you know, I mean, we, we sort of, from our perspective, tourism is about hosting, right, and it's about sharing our place. And I think that you're doing that so beautifully with not only with the you know, allowing visitors to come and see where the honey's from, but also in, in sharing the place through the product itself and and the sort of uh, what that evokes about about your place. Um, so, can you talk to us a little bit about about what's what's special about the Chathams and um, and how your place has informed the way that you the way that you do your work? When I first started the business, I never really realised that I would be where I am today, um, you know, especially with beekeeping, working with bees and myself, you know, I've learned myself um, 
as being a beekeeper and and um, and then all the information and research that I've had to gather along the way for MPI for Waikato University and and things has just really you know it's really opened my mind and so what I've done is I've tried to use that and um, with amongst the locals and educate themselves too and out and myself um, but. Yeah, in the beginning, my business started off as a as a as a product, and I've come full circle now and and realised my real product is the bees. Mm. And because our bees are so rare, um, they're disease free. They have no varroa, no AFB, and there's very mm. few places that can say that. Um, mm. I've taken it upon myself to protect them, um, and, and you know, protect and save our bees. And and then the honey is just a byproduct. It's a beautiful gift from God, <laughs> as they say, mm, from Mother Nature. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, so yes, yeah, so that's so that's what I've been doing for the last years. Now putting those steps in place to um, protect our bees, um, and and what our bees give to our island. You know, because um, we are a a, a very eco mecca island. Um, we're so isolated from the rest of the world, um, and and we also hold twenty seven percent of New Zealand's endangered species on the island, and that's wow. from fauna, flora to bird life, marine life. And so, Doc has a big presence here, and mm. um, so do the locals. You know, we we all live off the land. So a lot of the lo- we're all hunters and gatherers. They have a saying here: if you're if you're starving, then you're just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a really unique place, isn't it? Um, Chatham Islands and what you're doing there. And so now you're sharing the story of this unique place um, with your visitors. And you talked about your. Your product, or I think you'd said in another conversation, your role is really to be the protector of the bees. So help us understand how tourism is helping you serve that mission. How is how is tourism helping you protect the bees? Um, well, it, I guess it's just word of mouth. Um, you know, they, when they arrive, they don't know uh, about the bees and, so, and also our endemic flora. Um, and it's not till I take them inside our apri that they really have their own personal experience. Um, and I've had a lot of them come up to me and thank me that they've had not just their own experience, but their own um, spiritual experience, um, being up with Mother Nature and, and close and close to Mother Nature, learning, you know, having bees flying around and and things. Um, and you know, I've even had a um, uh, a tourist come up to me and say, "I've been a beekeeper for twenty years, and I've learned more here uh, with you than I have in my own um, backyard." Yeah. Wow, that's a huge compliment. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. Well, what is it about that experience that that evokes such a reaction from people? Do you think? Um, I think, well, I think it's just that, you know, we get a lot of um, retired um, tourists in and um, I guess it's just them connecting with, with nature themselves. I guess that's what they love. You know, um, where our apiary is situated, um, 
it's still native, untouched, uh, rugged and rough uh, vegetation, all natural. And um, so a lot of them, you know, we do have our our areas where they can go for those walks. But I guess also just being amongst nature um, and being amongst where I've situated and made it the homes or home for the bees. And then um, with me and Francesca's um, knowledge and experience that we've learned over the last um, four years and, mm. and the passion that we're sharing. Mm. Yeah. And the story, right? Like telling that that story of of taking it, you know, have you done every part of the process? You you say you've done the beekeeping, you've done the chefing, you've done the creating it into beautiful, beautiful dishes. I think um that's that's so wonderful to be able to share all of those different parts of the process with your guests. Yes, exactly. And I think it's that personal um contact that they get too. And and they just see like they always say to us that they just see the joy and the passion when we're talking um or sharing our own experiences. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That's what makes that's what makes those experiences so deep and meaningful, isn't it? I love that. Yeah, exactly. And part of this journey for you now is that it's not just that you're you know, you have beehives and you're bringing people onto your land to learn about it, but you're actually working at a systems level, right? So you're working with Department of Conservation, you're working with MPI, you're working with Waikato University. Why is it important to work at, at a systems level? And you're across systems too. You're not just tourism. You're working in in um, primary industries and in food. Why is that important? Um, well, I guess... First, you know, we can we can share those stories, but without facts um, that goes along with the story or all the bees or the um, honey. Um, for us, it just gives it that that added value um, and that, um, you know, just the facts that what they know and what we know um, and we're sharing those facts correctly. We're looking at developing the the honey industry on the island, so hence why we need to go down that pathway um, with MPI um, and also working with our council because we have no law or mandatory law in place. As an island and, and locals ourselves, we all know we can't bring in honey or used equipment, but it's not law. And so um, um, working and putting those um, information in place will help us build that case. Mm. Nice. So that's our first goal is to uh, protect the bees and to to put some um, laws in place for that. So what's your um what's your dream for the for the honey industry in in the Chathams or for your business? Well, we've we've also uh, members of the New Zealand Co-op. Um, so we're looking at um, creating and developing a cooperative on the island for, for everyone as a whole. And so that my dream is that this epiculture um, will continue long before I'm gone and the next generation will um, uh, manage and run it. Yeah, Beautiful. Mm, that's a beautiful vision. Kai, how do you regenerate yourself? What do you do to regenerate yourself? Um, oh, well, I drink a lot of green tea and honey. 
well, and health-wise, but um, in mind and spirit-wise, um, being up at the apiary, just working up there in, in silence and um, hearing the bees flying around, the birds talking, the wind, the wind singing. Um, it's a beautiful thing. And you don't realise how time just goes by there. Um, but another one is, is the energy-wise, I, I do draw it in by what I like to do for our community. And um, so I have been working um, with the kids. We've created a Chatham Island Kids Bee Club here. And um, so we've been doing um, creative art boxes and then I will give them a bee box. They will take that bee box home for themselves. And so we'll do ongoing bee training with them. And the idea was that that they each home on the island would be self-sustainable of honey. They'd never have to buy honey from New Zealand again. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And um, and then I did um, uh, last week food tech with the kids um, at the school. Um, we are celebrating the first ever epiculture um, on the island, the World Bee Day. So that will mark our first year anniversary. And so, so the kids have made them themselves. They've made their own little bees, wow. uh, edible bees out of them, um, uh, and flowers. And so I will be attempting the world's biggest uh, bee cake uh, this Friday. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so it. cool. Oh, oh great. wow. Yeah. Is it going to be honey-flavoured, honey honey-flavoured cake? Yeah. That's going to be lemon and honey cake. Um, oh, beautiful. Cake. Oh, yum. And, yeah, so I'm going to do a big queen bee. And the kids um, last week have created all the little worker bees, nurse bees and drone bees themselves. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. That is so fantastic. And it's great to have that celebration too, to celebrate yeah. what you're doing on the island and to celebrate you know, beekeeping and honey and exactly. um, your connections there. Yeah. Oh, that's just magnificent. And, and, and acknowledge all the other um, beekeepers and apris that have been before us. And training the next generation of beekeepers by the exactly. sounds of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wonderful. And so they will, they will bring all down their, you know, they've made artwork, they've made um, bee suits, um, uh, beekeeping suits and, and things. And so they'll bring all their artwork down and we'll put it on display. And then the community will come down um, around lunchtime, one o'clock, and enjoy and get to see what we've all, what we've been doing together. And then we all get to eat cake. Yeah. <laughs> two wonderful conversations with two really wonderful women, Josie. I really loved these conversations in this episode. Um, and I've been thinking about what are the themes that are emerging through the two conversations in this episode and also with Angela's uh, conversation in the previous episode. And I think one thing that's certainly standing out to me is uh, the importance of food stories and the value of food stories and really connecting us to a place and to people of that place and to the culture of that place. 
right? So when we think about Amy talking about Southland, I mean, that the food strategy plan that they have is really shaped around their food stories and how important those stories are. Uh, Southland, you and I know, is um, great kaimoana, great seafood, right? You've got all of the, the wonderful seafood there and, and how important that is to the people there, as well as the, the land production, the food, the beef she talked about, and the venison and the sheep, um, sheep farming and, and that these, these stories tell, these, these, the food there tells a story of the people, right? Absolutely. I think that was really a clear theme that came through both of these conversations was how much food can connect people to place and how much those two things are interconnected. And, and actually, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to connect that into how tourism can serve that, right? How can tourism serve fostering connection to place? Uh, and I think we can see through these examples that tourism really has a role in in highlighting and celebrating those food stories and therefore deepening connection to place. And I think Kai's um, business is an example of this because she had this amazing product, uh, the freeze-dried honey, and, and serving that honey in the in the restaurant and people asking you know where is this from like wanting to know the story of this incredible uh food product and so as a result of that she developed this tourism business where people could go and visit the apiary and and see the bees and experience being in that place and so she's sort of using tourism as as a way to connect people deeper with that food story and I think that's a really uh, amazing example of of how tourism could could serve this this kind of thing yeah and and connect them with the place too right because she talked about when the people go up there they have their own almost a spiritual experience being in mother nature being in that close connection um, with the the native bush that's up there, the bees all flying around, um, and and just these quite really deep, um, meaningful experiences that started from an experience with food, but went through to the story of of where that originated, and then the story of the place and their their deep encounter with nature. Um, so I thought that was a beautiful example. Uh, I'm so thrilled that that she was, you know, happy to chat with us because I think the work she's doing there is just so incredible and so inspiring. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful image, and hopefully, listeners would have heard um, the the sounds of the bees as we introduced Kai, which is a recording from her apiary and. Uh, maybe you can start to sort of imagine what that might be like to stand there and, and to take that all in. Um, I think the other thing that stood out to me in these conversations was this interconnectedness that both Kai and Amy are fostering through their work. And, you know, speaking to Amy, she she talked about one of the goals of their Southland Murahiku food tourism plan is to strengthen local food networks um, and as as well as that to connect their food networks with a with a national food network including through eat New Zealand which is Angela's uh, business that we that we spoke with um, who we spoke with last time so I think that's 
that's really interesting to think about. We've spoken on this podcast before about this sort of horizontal connection and vertical connection, right? And how we need to be connected across our communities and across sectors, uh, as well as in a vertical sense between uh, local communities, regional, national, etc. Um, and I think what they're trying to do in Southland really speaks to that. I think it's really awesome to see something that's come out of a tourism organization talk about a goal being to strengthen local food networks. Like that's, that's what we're talking about, you know, like that's, that's tourism, yeah. tourism serving local food systems. I think that's really exciting. That's a beautiful example. I was so excited when Amy talked about that. And I think kudos to Southland for their, um, you know, their forward thinking to realize that tourism does serve beyond just the tourism sector. It should serve the local communities. And I think that's a beautiful example of that and uh, really impressive. So certainly check out the show notes because that is just one of the goals that's listed uh, in their plan, in their document that you can read more about, um, as I said, listed in our show notes. Uh, the other thing I was thinking, Josie, is we're, you know, you and I have done a lot of work now through our training um, to become regenerative practitioners. And I think what's coming up for me a lot is this understanding that to live and work in ways that are regenerative means that we need to contribute. We need to understand what our essence is, whether we're an individual or a business um, or a project, and then we contribute that essence to the systems we're part of. So it's always adding values to, to these other systems. Um, so I just sort of wanted to throw that out there and think about, was there anything coming up for you that we haven't talked about already in this episode that resonates with that? I mean, I think the reason why we wanted to do this series on, on food systems is is a lot to do with that calling, really, that, that feeling like we should be thinking beyond our sector. Um, and, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit on Angela's episode, but as I understand it, tourism cannot be regenerative on its own. That's not how regeneration works. We're all so interconnected with our places, with other communities, with other sectors, and I think trying to talk about being regenerative in a single business is is not actually that useful. And so we need to be thinking bigger than that. We need to be thinking about what can we do as a sector. And so I think, you know, what really excites me is examples of people who are working to add capability to the systems that they're a part of, right? I mean, even you think about Kai in this episode, she's not only doing this amazing work with her own business, with her own creating this amazing product and then sharing the stories and that kind of connection to place that that fosters, but she's also working to connect with other uh, food producers and, and honey producers in particular in, in Aotearoa and to create a sort of cooperative, as I understand it, or just to be just to be more connected with the sector and therefore to lift the entire sector up. And I think we're seeing bits and pieces of that uh in in tourism as well and i think that's where we're going to see real change is when people are working at a systems level mm. 
Yeah, she really is, isn't she? And, you know, in terms of protecting the bees on Chatham Islands, she's working with MPIs to, to create laws around yeah. what equipment is allowed in. I mean, that's working at a systems level. Yeah. She's going into the schools and, and had the celebration of the, the World Bee Day and, and really getting the kids involved and getting them to take, uh, a, I think she had like a nuke or a hive for each kid to take home, each, each school student to take home. I mean, that's working at a systems level. So I'm just, I get so excited and feel so privileged to be talking with people who are working at the systemic level and, and really trying to transform the systems that they're part of. Um, so hopefully listeners as well are seeing those connections that, um, that we're showcasing through these models. And thinking about how in their, you know, how, how each of us in our own work can be contributing to the systems that we're part of. That is it's much bigger than just the businesses that we're that we run. Yeah, it's interesting because I think um we often get messages from listeners or from people who have found us through through the podcast who ask us about how do we put this into practice? You know, like that's one of the big questions. Like how do we how do we make our business regenerative and and it's uh or or at a dis- destination level as well right how do we put this regenerative way of working into practice um you know give us a give us a checklist like what what can we do and and i think we always struggle with that right because um what we're trying to do with the podcast is uplift stories of of examples of what we're seeing and and with these harvests at the end of the episode where we try and pull out uh, key points or things that have emerged, we're trying to sort of highlight what what a regenerative way forward might look like. But it's challenging to answer that question of of what do I do in my business, and um, because oftentimes it's about thinking outside of your business. I think. Yeah, beautifully said, Josie. Exactly. Uh, and I think what we're trying to do here as well is is highlight or reinforce those principles of a regenerative approach to, in this case, tourism, um, and really make visible what it is these guests are doing, these examples are doing, uh, in line with those principles. And so I also think back to Nadine um, Toy Toy from Kohutapu Lodge, who said, it's not really that hard. Mm-hmm. Just look around in your community and see what's needed. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's such a beautiful simplification of a regenerative approach in action look around where you are and and look at what's needed and it may not feel like it's part of tourism but it doesn't need to be and then the challenge is okay how do we then serve that need right how do we add capability to that to that system definitely yeah i'm wondering if we should do a bit of a um a throwback divvy of you know when we when we started doing these harvests we used to finish them with a question for listeners to reflect on Mm, yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to ask, um, I'd like to ask listeners, what's, what's emerging for you as you hear these stories about food? And, and, you know, this is the second part of, of a three part series. So you'll hear another story next week. Um, but what's emerging as you hear these stories and, and what potential do you see for tourism to contribute to local food systems? We would really love to love to hear from you. I mean, love for you to reflect on that. But but if you feel like sharing, 
uh, your thoughts, then then we'd love to hear from you in an email or in our LinkedIn group. Um, the, that's all in the in the show notes. So yeah, I'd like to pose that to listeners. Mm. Nice, I like that. It's all about reflecting on these things, isn't it? Mm. Getting on with it, but also bringing a, a sort of a conscious awareness about it all yeah. to everything we're doing. So thanks so much to our guests today, uh, to Emmy Young from Southland and to Kai Silvery from Go Wild Apiary. Uh, we really appreciated your time and really uh, kudos for the work you're doing. Yeah. Great mahi. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, very thought-provoking conversations today. So very grateful for to these guests. Thank you also to you listeners for joining us for another episode. This is episode 19 so we're coming to the end of our second season of the podcast which is uh, bittersweet uh, if you'd like to support our our work and our podcast we would love for you to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice uh, it really helps us to be found by other people who might be interested in these conversations this podcast is entirely hosted and produced by us, Debbie Clark and Josie Major, along with the wonderful Clary Macklin, who somehow manages to make us all sound fantastic and professional. So thanks so much for joining us in this episode of Good Awaits. It's great to have you with us on this journey. Mm-hmm.